0: Hi, good evening, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study um, by live stream at Gadsden First United Methodist Church and we're studying the Gospel of Luke and I want to just kind of start by saying thank you to my technical crew uh, Sheila Freeman is making this possible I'm out of town today um, doing a funeral uh, in another church Town and and so I'm recording this ahead of time on Tuesday night so that it can be broadcast. I also like to say thank you to uh, Andy Yarnell for teaching my morning Bible study class uh, on Luke chapter four. We're on chapter four tonight, Gospel of Luke. If you want to go ahead and turn uh, over there, if you missed any of our previous sessions, you can go to our Facebook page at, or go to our church app, and you can find those previous um lessons and go back and review them or if you need to to go back and see them again and this one will be saved onto our our church facebook page and our and onto our church app and so you can go back and, and look at it again if you need to um if you have a prayer request, I invite you to send those in and we will let our prayer team pray for those needs. If you have a praise and celebration, we like to hear about those too. So let us let us hear from you. If this is uh, something that is valuable to you, then uh, like it and share it to your Facebook friends and maybe somebody else will will enjoy studying the Gospel of Luke with us. And that just kind of expands our reach if you help us do it that way. So um, pray with me tonight as we get started, and we'll ask God to help us to to get all we can get out of this Bible study. Oh, Lord, thank you for being with us as we study your word together. We are gathered together even if we're not in the same room. We are connected because we know that the same Holy Spirit that speaks to uh My heart here in this beautiful sanctuary is the one who speaks to a person sitting at home at their kitchen table or wherever they might be. We're together and we study together and we know that as your word goes forth that it will not return void and it will accomplish the purpose for which it is intended. Help us as we study this Gospel of Luke today. Help us as we look at the story of of the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to to gain something from this that will help us in our walk with you. The needs that we have on our hearts, we lift up to you, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 4, we're reading about the temptation of Jesus And we'll look at the verse, um, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I will give it to anyone that I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, Jesus answered, Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Okay, this is another one of the milestones in Jesus' life. We've looked at a couple of them already. We've looked at the uh, the milestone where his parents took him to the temple and he stayed at the temple, he stayed behind, and when his panicked parents got back to Jerusalem, they said, how could you do this to us? And Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So that was kind of a milestone about his his realizing who he was. And then another milestone would be when he was baptized by, by John the Baptist, and um, he saw heaven open and the holy spirit descending like a dove and the voice of the father saying you are my beloved son and you i am well pleased so now jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry and it says in verse one of chapter four we just read that he was full of the holy spirit he was ready to go remember that in the Gospel of Luke, there are certain things that are emphasized. One is the Holy Spirit. One is prayer. And, and one uh, is an emphasis on the role of, of women. So why did Jesus go into the desert? Um, short answer, because the Spirit led him there. Uh, why did Jesus go into the desert? Another way to answer this is he went there to be tempted by the devil. Uh, He didn't accidentally wander off into the desert. He was led there, and it was a time of testing. It was an intentional time of testing. It's important to see for us what Jesus does during this time in the desert. Uh, It's important to see the choices that he makes during his time of temptation because Jesus is our example and we see from his conduct uh, the way that that we should go and and then we ask ourselves okay what am I going to choose um, what will be my my choice when it gets to be crunch time so it's it's like God said you're my beloved son you're the Messiah and so now is the test of what kind of Messiah are you going to be. Um, So something else to think about when we look at these temptations, it's it's a special story because it's about Jesus. Um, Nobody else is there to witness this. So Jesus is the one who had to tell about this story uh, to someone like uh, the apostles and someone who would write this down like Luke. Jesus was the only one there. It was just Jesus and the devil. So Jesus was the one that had to relay this story to his disciples. So why would Jesus tell this story? I mean, we usually try to go out of our way to, to not tell the bad stuff. I think Jesus told this story and I think we have it now 2,000 years later because all of us face temptation We all face temptation, don't we? And so in a way, in one way, this temptation was kind of customized to Jesus because Jesus actually could have turned the stones into bread. We couldn't do that. Uh, We wouldn't be tempted to do that. We don't have that ability. Um, So something that's a temptation to one person might not be a temptation to another person. So in a way, temptations are kind of custom to um, each person. But in another way, and, and it was this way for Jesus, in another way, um, all temptations are the same, all temptations kind of come in these same general forms. And to, to kind of give you an example about how that works, I look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where... Um, The the author writes, do not love the world or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that is in the world, and here is kind of the categories of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever so in verse 16 of 1st John chapter 2 it says everything that's of the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life doesn't come from the father but comes from the world so these three general categories it, uh, um, would be something that applied to anybody and everybody and and these were the areas in which Jesus was tempted just think about the areas let's look at Jesus' temptation a little bit more closely, and we'll see this. The first temptation, of course, was to turn the stones into bread. Now we know that, that life in the wilderness um, would be a kind of a desert life. It, there's not much there. Um, but in this area where Jesus was, uh, all over the ground would have been covered by these these little stones, little little brown stones that would have looked something like a little loaf of bread. And remember that Jesus had been fasting and he was very hungry. Um, And so these little brown stones would have reminded him maybe of little, little loaves of bread. And I'm sure he was thinking about that and his stomach would have been growling. And so, I mean, what would have been wrong for him to do that? For him to turn these stones to bread? Remember I said that that Jesus was choosing during this time of temptation what kind of Messiah he would be. How is he going to use his power? Uh, How is he going to use the the ability that he has as God, as son of God, as 100% divine as well as 100% human? Is he going to use this power to kind of kind of bribe people for a better way of putting it lack of a better way of putting is he going to kind of bribe people into following him by by giving them things so i guess that would be one way to go Uh, it would certainly work um my grandmother's sister my great aunt leo um was a missionary in china and she she served there um during a very difficult time in China's history and she talked about something called rice Christians and that would be um, people who would pretend to be Christians just so that they could get some rice and so Jesus being physically weak and hungry he was surely he was tempted to fulfill that hunger but he would also have been tempted to be the kind of Messiah that would just give out favors to people so that they would follow just to see um, where their next loaf of bread would come to. So being hungry, I mean, we could rationalize. Surely God wouldn't want Jesus to be hungry, would he? Um, He didn't really, you know have to duke it out with the devil in order to do that he um to defeat this temptation jesus quoted what we could quote he quoted from a verse in deuteronomy that said this it is written um man does not live on bread alone so this first category of temptation the lust of the flesh is something that that Hits us all. We are all tempted to turn stones into bread, so to speak. We are tempted to to give in to what our flesh craves. Um, we're tempted to have the attitude of, like an old man told me one time. He said, "If it's good to you, it's good for you," uh, which is a terrible way to think because that's not always the case. Some things. Our, our body kind of craves that are not good for us and, and shouldn't be the way that we go. So notice the subtlety of the devil's temptation to Jesus. Uh, God has already said, you are my son. I'm well pleased in you. And then the devil comes back around and he says, if you are the son of God. In other words, Jesus, you need to prove yourself. You You need to... You need to prove yourself. You know, you need to prove that you can feed yourself and miraculously do these things to prove that you are the son of God. You know, and you could kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. You could, you could give yourself some food and you could prove that you really are the son of God. So see how attractive that looks to someone. Um, so, all right, that brings me to the next temptation. The second temptation was a temptation to really take a, a shortcut to ruling the world. The devil led Jesus to a, a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. Now, I'll give you all these kingdoms, the devil said, if you just worship me. So why go through all of that suffering, Jesus? Why, why suffer on the cross and, and go through all that you would have to go through when you could just rule the world now? I mean, aren't you gonna be ruling the world anyway? Why not just take it now? Uh, and so was the devil kind of telling a partial truth? Well, yeah, kind of a a half truth. See, the devil is a liar and the father of lies and the best lies, as we know, are partial truths. And so the the system that is represented by the devil here, the the system, and when I say the world, I don't mean the creation. I mean the the worldly system that is hostile toward God, that it, it, that does not recognize God. That's what I mean by the world, and that's what First John chapter two means when it says, "Love not the world." So this evil system, this system that is hostile toward God, um, this evil system is is under the control of the devil um, for now, but really who is sovereign of everything? God is. So this was not just kind of uh, half a truth, it was all a lie. And so we had the lust of the flesh turning the stone into bread and now we have the lust of the eyes. The all of the shiny things, all of the shiny kingdoms of the world, all the things that we see, you know, we are subject to that. We have things that bombarding our senses all the time on, on television and on billboards and on our phones that we carry with us 24 hours a day. Everything is bombarding us, and we lust after what we see. And, I mean, advertisers know that. They know that we are tempted to want those shiny things, and they know that uh, the devil knows that we're tempted to make those shiny things into gods. But here is how Jesus responds. Here's how Jesus chooses. Again, he quotes something that we could quote. Deuteronomy 6.13, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is going to to teach this in the Sermon on the Mount, and you could read this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you can't put first both God and all of the shiny things of the world. You can't you can't put there can only be one number one and it's got to be god um the third temptation jesus gets is um the temptation to be sensational right the devil had him stand on the highest point of the temple maybe um the temple colonnade Um, it would have been about a hundred foot drop to the kidron valley below maybe the pinnacle of the temple itself anyway Again, we hear, if you are, if you are, if you are the Son of God, use your divine power to create this sensation, Jesus. That way, you're going to prove to everyone that you're the Messiah. Prove to everyone that you're the real deal. And you know what else the devil does here? He actually quotes scripture. Can the devil quote scripture? Absolutely. He quoted Psalm 91. Um, He just misuses it. He just misuses it. it. It doesn't just matter that we read the scripture. It matters how we read the scripture. So the lust of the flesh is the bread. The lust of the eyes is the kingdom of the worlds. And the pride of life is show everyone how powerful you are, Jesus. And then Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in verse 13, it says, the devil left him for good? No. Because the devil would still be around and would still continue to tempt him until the biggest temptation of all for Jesus would be in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, but he waited for a more opportune time. All right, so um, verses 14 and 15, let's look at those real quick. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So now that Jesus' test in the desert was over, uh, over, he returned uh, again, by the power of the Spirit, again, Luke emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, and he begins his ministry in Galilee. Galilee um, was in an area north of Palestine, about 50 miles long and about 25 miles wide. Galilee was surrounded by non-Jewish nations, and so it, it was influenced by all kinds of different cultures Galilee was a very fertile area, wonderful climate, and good water supply. So this was an area that was heavily populated. And this was the place where Jesus chose to start his ministry. This is a place that would really receive Jesus very well. It says everybody praised him, at least in the beginning, right? And he began in the synagogue. Um, okay, so you might be wondering... Um, What is the difference between the synagogue and the temple? Well, it's this. There was only one temple, and that was in Jerusalem. But wherever at least 10 Jewish families would gather, they could have a a synagogue. So, in other words, in every little town and village, um, there would be a synagogue. There would be a, a place where people would meet to worship. Now they wouldn't offer sacrifices at the synagogue. Um, That was reserved for the temple. But the synagogue was the place where people would gather for teaching, to learn. Um, So think about this. How would Jesus, how could Jesus teach in a synagogue? Um, Remember he was a carpenter from Nazareth, really. Um, How could he teach in a synagogue in Galilee? Well, there were three parts to the synagogue service. There was the worship part where where prayers would be offered. Um, Then there was the scripture reading part. And the way they did this was that seven people from the congregation would read. And as they read from the ancient Hebrew text, um, which was no longer widely understood, it would have been translated into Aramaic or Greek, a verse at a time. And after the reading part of the scripture, uh, there was the teaching part. So, so there was no really professional minister uh, in the congregation to do all the teaching. Remember, this is just a gathering of Jewish families. And the president of the synagogue would invite any distinguished visitor he wanted to to present or to speak or to teach or to kind of lead a discussion and so this would have been how Jesus got a chance to speak at the synagogue. He would have been invited to speak at the synagogue and verse 15 tells us that everyone praised him. Everybody praised him. So Think about how good it feels when when people like what you do and what they what they tell you. I I love it when people say, "Oh, I really loved your sermon, Pastor Sam," or "Or I love this Bible study." Or whatever it feels good to get that praise, um, and this kind of sets us up for what's about to happen next, which is very different, and in Jesus' hometown to boot so let's look at verses 16 through 30 um, Jesus' experience in Nazareth Jesus okay verse 16 he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release uh, the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Well, let's, let's just start by remembering where we left off. That was when Jesus had returned from the temptation in the wilderness and the power of the Spirit. And he went through Galilee, um, teaching in the synagogues. And in verse 15, it said, everybody praised him. And now Jesus comes to his hometown, to to Nazareth. Um, So when we we say Nazareth, um, we... It could have been almost a year from the time that Jesus ministered to Galilee. So don't necessarily think it happened the next week. Here's kind of probably how the events went chronologically. If we look um, and we look possibly at the events from Go- uh, John's gospel, um, here's things that might have happened. In, in the meantime, between the time that Jesus taught in Galilee and the time that he taught in his hometown in Nazareth, Jesus would have changed the water into wine uh, in Cana. He would, have, he would have met his future disciples and he would have had the, the teaching in John chapter 3 about um, how w- you must be born again. He would have had that. He would have taught uh, Nicodemus and others listening. At that, and in, in John chapter four, we would have seen he, that he went through Samaria and he met the woman at the well. So all of this would have happened between the time that Jesus taught in Galilee and the time he came to his hometown in Nazareth. So he goes to the synagogue, and don't don't miss verse 16 uh, because this is important for Jesus and important for us. It said he went there as was his custom. Um, Well, what do you think things were like in the synagogue in Jesus' day? Were they perfect? No. Um, But that didn't keep Jesus from going to the synagogue to worship. The people that were gathered there, do you think some of them were hypocrites? Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say, all my life I've heard people say, well, I'm, no, I'm not going to church with, with all of those hypocrites. Well, Jesus did. Jesus went to an imperfect place to worship a perfect God. Okay, I could go on and on about that, but I won't. But I'm just saying Jesus kept the customs of his faith, but not because it was a perfect situation, but because he was faithful in worshiping God. So Jesus was called upon to read at the synagogue. And unlike the time he was in Galilee, he wasn't a visitor. This was his hometown. Everybody knew him. And when he was called upon to read that day, everybody would be looking at him. This is the hometown boy, so to speak. And he was handed the scroll by the attendant. And he read from Isaiah 61 verses one and two, the lights didn't dim as Jesus has read the scroll like they just now did for us. Uh, wasn't that dramatic? Thank you, Sheila. For di- no, Sheila didn't do that. Um, so this passage from Isaiah 61 verses one and two is a messianic passage. It is talking about the salvation that the Messiah is going to bring It's talking about something very special called the year of Jubilee. Um, To read about the year of Jubilee, you can read in Leviticus chapter 25. It really is interesting to read about what they did. This was, um, we all know what the Sabbath day is, but this was actually a Sabbath year. So for, for six years, they would sow their fields and they would, prune their vineyards and they would gather the crops but on the seventh year they were to let the whole land have a sabbath rest they weren't to sow anything they weren't to prune anything they were to eat whatever grew naturally but, but only that um, not only did the land get uh, a sabbath from being uh, tilled and planted and pruned and everything. But slaves and hired workers were, were given the time off and um, livestock and, and animals were allowed to, to eat whatever the, the land produced too. And then every 70 times seven years, on the 50th year, was the year of Jubilee. And uh, not only were they not to sow or to prune or to reap on that year, but property was returned to its ancestral owners, and debts were forgiven. And slaves were not just given time off, but freed. Can you just imagine how revolutionary that was? And so for the prophet Isaiah, the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, uh, was looking into the future of Israel when Israel was going to be liberated from Babylonian captivity. Jesus, the Messiah, was, was proclaiming another kind of liberation, a liberation from sin, and also was proclaiming a... A countercultural, really way of living. I want to read to you um, a, a passage from a, a book called "Jesus for President," about living in a countercultural way. Um, Jesus' jubilee was a liberation of all of the poor and broken peoples of the empire. Amid the amens of the crowd, the tide began to change. And he, in this, Jesus' jubilee speech in synagogue, he lamented that the prophets were not accepted in their hometowns. In other words, you're not going to like this. So he went on to recall for his listeners how the great prophet Elijah, in trying times of famine, was sent not to Israel but to an outsider and during Elisha's time a a great disease that afflicted Israelites um, which was common leprosy none of those Israelites was cured but only a Syrian named Naaman so not knowing uh, Israelite history it's difficult for most of us to understand how serious these statements are but how there was a drastic shift in what happened at this point in the conversation, it says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this and they got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill in order to throw him off the cliff. The commencement address had started off well. So why were they so threatened? Why were they so threatened? it's not just that Jesus proclaimed the Jubilee but also that he radically redefined Israel's identity. Uh, in other words, what was so um, infuriating to them was that, that God's gift wa- was a gift not just to them, um, but was a gift to everybody. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus said, I'm the one who's going to bring about the Jubilee. And they said, Pff, this is Joseph's son. We know this guy. How can he be the Messiah? And so then we see Jesus went from preaching to meddling when he he quoted what I, I read from about um, about the widow of Zarephath and helping her during the famine and Naaman the Syrian being cured of leprosy Um, so basically they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff because Jesus said what if God doesn't play favorites you know what if what if God what if God doesn't hate the same people that you hate what if God doesn't show partiality um, well you know what come to think of it as pretty much the same way now we want God to love the same things we love and hate the same things we hate and we're pretty sure that we're in the in crowd you know and maybe those people over there whoever those people are are in the out crowd um, okay okay So now let's shift gears here and look verses 31 through 37 where Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Then he went to a town in Capernaum, a town in Galilee on the Sabbath and began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out of him without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Well, Jesus, again, was rejected in his hometown, and he goes back to Capernaum, and we see him again in the Sabbath, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's teaching. And people are amazed, not that he teaches, but that he teaches with such authority. And here is where Jesus encountered his first demon-possessed man. So where did he encounter his first demon-possessed man? Uh, in a strip club? In a honky-tonk? Um, no, he encountered him in church. Well, in the synagogue. So let's, let's talk about demons for just a second. In the ancient world, people believed, um, literally believed that the air around them was filled with, with demons and that these demons were seeking at all times to enter into people. Sometimes they entered into people. Uh, the, it was the ancient belief. Sometimes they would enter in through what someone ate or what they drank. or They believed that all illnesses were caused by demons and they believed... Um, especially things like deafness and and blindness and muteness and things, where all, all of that was caused by demons. That's what was the belief in those ancient times. So what was going on here, Jesus seems to believe in demon possession according to this passage. Three possibilities may be going on here that Jesus actually did believe that uh, demons possessed this man in the same way that people around him did remember Jesus was a hundred percent human and he lived in a particular day and time not in modern times so it's alright for us to assume that he had the same opinions about things that that other people that lived in the time that he lived had uh, another possibility is that Jesus didn't really believe in demon possession but he knew that the man himself and the others around him did believe in that. It's like somebody going to the doctor and the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you, your pain's not real. That doesn't necessarily work, doesn't it? If the person believes that something's real. And then a third possibility is there really is something to demon possession after all and that there are things that modern science can't really explain. So what do you think about that? Any of these possibilities would be something that we could could look at and we could talk about. But what Jesus does is whatever we wanna say about this, Jesus heals the man um, and he casts out the demons and the people are amazed. They're not amazed that they had seen demons cast out because other people in Jesus's day would do the same thing, cast out demons. Their culture was full of people who would do what we would know uh, as exorcisms, Uh, all kinds of rituals and all kinds of things and weird practices and spells would be done. But what did Jesus do in this case? He just spoke with authority to the demon and he basically said, shut up and come out of him. What was so amazing to the people was the authority that Jesus had. So, and one last thing, the people in Jesus' hometown didn't recognize him as, as the Messiah, did they? They thought this is... Joseph's son. We know his mom and daddy and them. Um, But then in verse 34, we just read, the demons actually recognized Jesus. The demons said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right, this brings us to a, a, a passage that I'm going to actually preach from this Sunday. So if you want to join us Sunday and hear more about this, When uh, Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, verses 38 and 39, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the house of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So when he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her, she got up at once and began to wait on them. Um. So he went. It says he went to the home of Simon, and who is Simon? This is this is Peter. Um, something that you know we may forget is that Peter was married. How do I know he was married? He had a mother-in-law. That's the only way you get to have a mother-in-law is when you're married. Um, so all three Synoptic Gospels tell this story, but only and this is interesting. Only you, uh, uh, Luke, uses the form. Uh, the term high fever says that he had a high fever Um, why would you think that Luke would put that special detail in there remember that Luke is a doctor and so he would use a little bit more details when he described this physical illness couple of things to notice here Jesus uh, well, Jesus had to be ready to serve wherever he went and he didn't need a crowd of people in order to do that. It could just be one person. It could, he could just make a difference of one person at a time because he had compassion on them, which is something that is a takeaway for us. We don't have to um, have a crowd of people and, and be in the spotlight. One person at a time. Uh, Showing compassion on one person at a time. The person who is right in front of us is something that we can take away. And also, did you notice what Simon Peter's mother-in-law did when she was healed? She got up and began to wait on them, began to serve them. And so part of me wants to go, hang on now. Doesn't she need some time off I mean, she's just had a high fever, and she's just gotten over it. She's just been given the gift of health. And so why would she want to turn around and start serving on them? So these days, especially since we are just coming through a pandemic, still dealing with that, we realize what a gift health is. We don't take it for granted, do we? Um, And and yet, what are we going to do with that gift? What are we going to do with the strength and the ability that we have to do? Um, We're going to use it to serve. And it is uh, not just, I mean, it's not, Sometimes we think of serving as a duty, but it's also a privilege and it also is a joy. Um, Okay, let's let's finish then with verses 40 through 44. If you wanna hear more on these two verses, come to church this Sunday and bring your mom if you can. Verses um, 42 through 44. The sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one he healed them moreover demons came out of many people shouting you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ at daybreak Jesus went out in a solitary place the people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, he tried to keep him uh, and tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent." And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Um, in verse forty, when we see this this little phrase, "When the sun was setting," Um, The Jewish Sabbath, which we saw in verse 31, was over at sundown. It went from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So after sundown, that meant that people could travel, right, Um, and not be breaking the Sabbath. So until the Sabbath was over, Jesus or any of the Jews would not have been able to travel more than about what we would know as two thirds of a mile. They would not have been able to carry a burden. But after sundown, they could travel and they could carry a burden. Just imagine if you had a sick person on a stretcher and they were able to take their sick loved ones to Jesus and Jesus, healed them in verse 41 it says that when Jesus cast demons out the demons would shout you are the son of God and here it says that Jesus told the demons to be quiet and and not to speak up why would Jesus do that why would he tell the demons to be quiet I guess the short answer to that is because it just wasn't time yet it wasn't time yet And in verse 42, something else for us to notice, Jesus goes out to a solitary place. And why would Jesus go out to a solitary place? Um, Because Jesus, like we do sometimes, needed to have time alone with God to pray. And Jesus needed that, you need that, I need that. Um, People came out and they interrupted him and Jesus didn't get mad at them. He also didn't let them manipulate him into staying. They were like, Jesus, everybody loves you here. You got to stay here with us. And Jesus said, no, I don't. Because, you know, I have been sent on a mission. And my mission is not just to preach here, but to go to other towns and preach. That's why I was sent. And in verse 43, Jesus uses the phrase, kingdom of God. For the first time now this is a phrase that's used more than 30 times in this gospel and this is the first time here in verse 43 um, we're going to talk more about that at that later but for now let's look at two words good news Jesus said um, my job is to I was sent to take the good news um, So what is the good news that Jesus is taking? Well, let's go back to verses 18 and 19 and and look at at that again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, Jesus is reading from the scroll. He's in Nazareth in his hometown synagogue. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor, so good news is is not just s- spiritual principles it's also physical things uh, for instance if if you're hungry, good news would be i 'm going to give you something to eat, I'm going to share my food with you. If you're sick, the good news would be, I'm going to help you get better, get the medicine and get the health care that you need. Uh, You know what, if you're being oppressed, good news would be, I'm going to help you gain freedom from that oppression, you see. All of that would be good news. And that's what Jesus said, I'm going everywhere to take that good news Um, and that's kind of our job too right to take the good news everywhere we go all right well I want to uh, close here and I want to close with prayer and I want to give you some time to think about this and maybe go back and read chapter four again and think about some of these things and and let them see, sink deep in into your heart as I do into mine let's pray lord we, we thank you for the example that you give us that uh, as we all face temptation that we have a choice to make too we have a path to choose too so Help us by the power of your spirit to resist temptation and to make good choices like you did. And, and Lord, we also are going to face times when we um, receive praise and then times when we receive rejection. But help us to keep our heads about us and to know that you are the one who gets to say that you are pleased with us and that you love us no matter what. God, help us to to have compassion on those that you send across our path and to bring the good news, be bearers of the tidings of good news everywhere we go. When we need time alone, Lord, just us and you help us to do like you did and to go to that deserted place wherever it may be and spend that time with you too. Uh, We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for studying with us. See you later.